Oh, I have lots of kids there, but not at home. Uh, but anyways, you know, we're excited to continue uh, the questions that Jesus asked series this morning. And the question we're looking at today comes from Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And the question reads this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now, we're going to dive deeper into that passage in a moment. But before we do, um, this question is similar to one that I found myself asking um, quite frequently as a kid's pastor. <laughs> maybe um, any parents or teachers or anyone who works with kids or even maybe teenagers, maybe you found yourself asking this question, why don't you do what I tell you to do? Can anyone relate to that? Thank you. I'm not the only one. You know, there was a Sunday morning, um, and this was a long time ago, okay? So this is none of your kids, so don't, don't wonder, was it my son that did this? It was not. Actually, our kids right now are like angels, so if you really want to serve in next gen, now is the time to do it because they're like perfect. So parents, thank you for having good kids. Um, but there was a Sunday morning um, a while ago where uh, a kid came up to me and he said, Pastor Kevin, there's a kid in the back row spitting on the ground. And when I heard that, I was like, there's no way an elementary age kid is spitting unless he's either one, sick, right? Like maybe he's not feeling well, or two, maybe he like ate something. I didn't have any food, so I didn't think that was the cause. But like, I was like, this is strange. I'll go talk to him just to make sure, like make sure he's okay. And so I get down and say, hey, buddy, are you spitting on the ground? And he looks at me, big smile on his face. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is a strange situation. So I said, well, hey, are, are you okay? Like, are you not feeling well? And he goes, no, I'm fine. And I said, well, listen, hey, when you're in a public place, you're at church or at school or in the store, you can't be spitting on the ground. That's, that's not the polite thing to do. That's not very good. You know what he does? He looks at me, big smirk on his face, and he goes, <laughs> right on the ground in front of me. And in that moment, my head thought, why won't you do what I tell you? And don't worry, we handled that situation pretty quick. But it was one of those things, in hindsight, you're like, kids, man, what, why do they do this sometimes, you know? They get in these moments where they're just so full of energy, they want to do what they want. Um, and some of them can be a little rebellious at times, and they just want to, you know, test you a little bit. Um, but it leaves us asking that question, you know, why won't they do what they say? And I'm glad that we have parents here that can relate with me every now and then with that. But like I said, our kids here recently have been pretty good. So that's not a question I have asked in a long time, thankfully. But you know, it's a question that when Jesus asks this, it's kind of funny because you think it's a question you would ask, you know, a group of a bunch of kids, but not a group of adults, right? But if we're being honest with ourselves, it's probably a question that we may ask ourselves quite often. You know, why do we keep doing that thing that we just can't kick? Why can't I just keep my mouth shut in that situation? You know, why can't I just get things right at work or at home or whatever that mistake or thing you're working through is? You know, we've all probably found ourselves asking that question, why can't I just do what I want to do? Even, even the Apostle Paul asked that question in Romans 7, right? I'm not going to try to quote it because it's like a tongue twister. Um, but even the Apostle Paul was like, why do I do what I don't want to do? And quite frankly, though, it's an important question for all of us to consider, because as followers of Jesus, our goal is to look like Jesus, right? To live out what he taught, to share his love, to be like him. But we often struggle to do that, right? But I want to give you relief this morning because when Jesus asks this question, you know, often a question like that is out of frustration, right? But Jesus' question isn't necessarily out of frustration, 
but it's more out of a desire to encourage those listening to begin to put into practice his ways. And so like Jesus, my goal this morning isn't to harp on us to do better because quite frankly, we do that enough, right? We're, we're sometimes we're our biggest bullies, right? But my goal this morning is to give us enough reasoning and, and motivation to understand why we should take Jesus' question to heart and then begin to address some of those things. So this morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49. But to understand this question and the parable that follows, we need to take a few steps back and actually look at the whole portion of Luke chapter 6 real fast, just so we know why Jesus is asking that question in the first place. So I actually have for you guys a breakdown of that. And as you see, it begins with Jesus choosing the 12 disciples, then he goes off and teaches and heals. And then it comes to a set of, of teachings from Jesus. And the question is, you know, what's going on in these questions, in, the, in these teachings? Is there, is there a common theme? And there is. Jesus is teaching about the values of God's kingdom, which stand in contrast to that of the world. You know, for example, in, this, in the Sermon on the Plain, which is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how God um, blesses those who the world would, or who, who are weak and powerless. You know, people at the world would say, forget about them. You know, we want to celebrate the powerful. We want to celebrate the rich, the famous. But Jesus says, no, we, celeb- we, we bless those who are weak, who are poor. He then says to love our enemies when the world says to hate our enemies, to keep them at arm's length, right? Then Jesus says, do not judge unless we have first evaluated ourselves. The world says, judge freely. In fact, deflect blame. Blame someone else, right? And then Jesus ties it all together with this metaphor of the tree and its fruit where Jesus is showing us that our actions, they come from our heart. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces, can you guys guess it? Bad fruit. Yeah. So then it brings us to our question. And what's interesting with this question that Jesus asks is that the people that are there listening to him teach that day, they were his disciples. They were people that were curious about becoming a follower. Um, How do I know that? Well, because it doesn't really give us any questions from Pharisees trying to stump Jesus. It's people that seem to have chosen to be there to hear what Jesus is teaching, to maybe even come and get his healing. It's people that seem to be pro-Jesus for the most part. So let's read uh, Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49, and we'll break it down, okay? So it says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood arose, the river burst against the house, but it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. When the river burst against it, it quickly collapsed, and great was the ruin of the house." So today I want to focus on three insights from this passage that help us to reflect upon Jesus' questions and then position ourselves not just to hear what Jesus tells us to do, but to better put into practice the way of Jesus. So insight number one, it comes from that very first portion of that verse when Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And insight number one is this. It's a question. Is God truly the Lord of your life? Have you come? Have you heard? Do you act upon his word? And I, I didn't plan that, okay? That was actually a random thing that happened. I didn't mean to rhyme that, but, but 
are, is, is God really the Lord of your life? And Lord is a term that we don't really use today, right? It's a, but back in that day, the, the term Lord had a lot of weight. To call someone Lord was a term of great respect. To, to call someone Lord meant that you were willing to owe them your allegiance. And so these people, Jesus says they're calling him Lord, claiming he has their allegiance. But Jesus says, you're listening, but you're not doing do I really have your allegiance? One of the commentators I was reading on this passage, Garland, he, simply, he says this, that simply calling him Lord will avail nothing. Token acknowledgement of Christ as Lord will not pass for radical obedience to his teaching. And this reminds me of a time back in high school when I got a letter in the mail, wasn't expecting it. I opened it up, and it was an invite to join Get ready for this. The National Beta Club. Big nerd. Anyone, anyone here other Beta Club members in the room? I don't know if that's a... It's supposed to be national, so there should be others of you out there. I don't know where you're at, though. And I got this letter in the mail, and to be honest, I wasn't super excited because essentially the Beta Club was a club that you could go and do community service in your community. And those that had a good enough GPA... Um, were invited to be a part of the club. Yes, I was a nerd, had good grades. Um, and so I got this letter, and I was like, I don't really want to do this. Like, I'm already involved in sports. I was involved a lot in my church and youth group, so I was already serving. And I'm like, I don't really want to do more. And my parents were like, but Kevin, this will look good on your college application. How many, how many people in college have heard that from your parents? All the time, right? And then you realize, did it really help me? I don't know. It, maybe, it probably did. Um, but anyways, they were like, you should do this. It'll be good for you. And so I thought about it, and I was like, fine. If it's going to help me later in life, let's go for it. So I joined the club, and I went to, I think it was like monthly meetings. And my goal was to do as little as possible. I was a good person for the most part as a teenager, but in this, I, I, for some reason, I wanted to kind of sneak under the radar. And so whenever there was, you know, service projects, I was like, well, what's the least important job I can do? You know, if there's opportunities, can I let someone else do it? Um, and unfortunately, well, unfortunately for me, not for them, I kind of got away with it. Um, but Jesus isn't doing that here. He isn't letting them off the hook. He's saying, I mean, you can't be a part of my club and just simply have the title. You have to actually do the work of following me. So what does Jesus actually want here? Well, the answer is given in three present tense verbs that you read in verse 47, each of which connotes a habitual behavior, which is coming to Jesus, hearing his words, and then doing his will. These three qualities, they lay a foundation for genuine discipleship. For those of you here who are a Christ follower, just look back at your life. There probably was, was a moment when you came to the table, right? Maybe someone invited you to a church service. Maybe someone said, hey, can I talk to you about God or about what would you think, believe? Or maybe you got a Bible for the first time. And then there was a second moment, and may, it could be very close together. There was a second moment where you said, I'm actually going to listen to this. You know, I'm going to go to the service and hear. I'm going to open that Bible and read. I'm going to listen to this conversation. And then there was that third step where you decided to listen and you said, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give him my life. And all three of these moments are important. And today we're focusing on that third one of acting, right? Because that's what Jesus is talking about here. But all three are significant. If you're here and you just decided to come, maybe today is a time to begin to listen. If you've been listening for a while, maybe it's time to act. But you can't jump from the first to the last. It's a process. 
So what we're talking about here, or when we're talking with people um, that don't know Christ, if we invite them to come, don't jump right to their actions. Help them to hear, because they can't act until they hear. And here's the big one. They can't hear until they've brought themselves to the table. And I know there are moments where, you know, we can, we can meet someone in the moment and, and share our faith with them, and they, they, they love it, they follow Christ. Those moments do happen, and we should be sharing our faith with anyone. But for most people, they need to know that we are safe people, that we truly care. And if we set that up, then they will be more apt to listen and hear and follow Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself did this, right? I mean, why do you think Jesus ate with the sinners and tax collectors? Because chances are that helped them to be more willing to hear what Jesus had to say. And then, for many of them, choose to actually follow Jesus, right? And that's a bit of a rabbit trail off what we're focusing on, but what these three words or this discipleship process shows us is that Jesus doesn't just want spectators. He wants participants in his way, in the kingdom. So when Jesus speaks of action, he's saying you can't simply call yourself my follower, if all you want is the title, if all you want is the benefits, you have to be a Christ follower. And it's important that once we move to that third stage, that we know that our journey isn't complete yet. Because that's insight number two, is that discipleship, following Jesus, it is an ongoing process. I've heard Pastor Dave say before that discipleship or following Jesus is a journey it's not a destination. And so with this thought in mind, my question to you is, are you willing to dig? And we see this concept of, of discipleship as a journey once again through Luke's use of another present tense verb in verse 48, just like he did with those three in verse 47, right? And in it, he speaks of the man who obeys Jesus' teaching as doing what? building, notice that it's, he didn't say build, he didn't say built, he said he's building a house. Now, if you jump a verse forward and you look at the man who doesn't do what Jesus taught, it says he simply what? Built. He wasn't building. He didn't just build. He built. And in English, you know, we read that in the, in the, in the past tense, but in the Greek, it's referred to as the aorist tense, which is very similar to that, that past tense. But in Greek, it signifies that what the writer is referring to is that the work of building is complete. It is done. It is not being picked up ever again. It is, it is done. Where that word usage of building in the Greek, it is an ongoing process. It is still happening. So we see that dichotomy between those two builders. And this tells us that this process of building a foundation... It's ongoing. And not only that, we must be willing to do the work of digging to build our foundation stronger. So looking back at the passage, though, when, when it speaks of building, it's helpful to put ourselves in the shoes of the listeners to Jesus' teaching, right? Because scholars assume that this story takes place alongside the Sea of Galilee or alongside the Jordan River. I actually have a picture of the Sea of Galilee that we can show you. And what's interesting about uh, that location is the soil in, in, in around in Palestine or around the, the Sea of Galilee or the Jordan River, the soil was considered to be hard pan, which, which means what it sounds, right? It means it's hard, it's dry. And if you were going to build a house there, 
It may be tempting to simply build the house on the soil instead of investing the time, the labor, and the resources to do the work of building through the hard pan soil and build a strong and proper foundation. So the, proper, so the process of discipleship, living out the way of Jesus, it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing process, and it's going to take work to build through the hard soil to create that foundation. And too often, I feel like the church does a disservice to people because we often present only part of the gospel. You know, we talk about the hope that it gives us for the future, but often not about the hope that it gives us for today. But when I read John 10, 10, and I hear what Jesus says, he says that I came to bring you life and to bring it to the full. That abundant life that Jesus is talking about, it isn't just about heaven. It is about heaven, but it's so much more than that. It's also about today because God's kingdom, it is here and now just as much as it is to still come. So how do we embrace that abundant life today? Well, we do what Jesus said. We embrace those kingdom principles. And it's not easy to do. It's going to require us to do some work. It requires us to go against what culture tells us to do. And to be quite honest, what culture says sounds appealing, right? Because it's all about me. It's all focused on self and our selfish nature. And it tells us to, to put ourselves first. But when we attempt to put ourselves first, you know what that does? It only leaves us wanting more and more and more until one day we're in the grave, right? And we never completed that process. But when we lean into the way of Jesus and we put Christ first, we learn that the way of Jesus is the only way to that true joy that everyone on this planet is searching for. It requires work. It requires some reprioritizing in our lives. It requires us to create some new habits and make time to actually grow our relationship with God. And we don't go on that journey out of a sense of accomplishment to say, hey, I did it. We're out of a sense of obligation to get something back from God. Our desire should be to know him more. That's why we're on that process. That's why we're on the journey. And to be honest with you, we're never fully going to complete that here in our lifetime. It's a lifelong journey. I've met some very strong Christians who were old in age, and they would still tell me, I'm still working on it. I'm still learning to love more, still learning to be more like Christ. It's a lifelong journey. So what I want you to know is that our foundation is built by practicing, not perfecting the way of Jesus. It requires work, it requires practice because it doesn't come naturally to us. I think back to high school again. I don't know why high school is a theme here this morning, but I think back to high school. I guess I'm not that old. I don't know. I think back to high school, and I played baseball in high school, and I think back to a practice where for some reason our baseball team, for some we were just out of it. I don't know if we were tired, if we were lazy, if it was hot outside or what it was, but we were not doing our best. I felt like I was trying hard, but our coach felt like we, were kind of, we, weren't, we weren't giving our all. So he brought us all together, and my baseball coach, it's funny, I think he grew up in Michigan, but for some reason he had like a very slight southern accent and a very raspy, go, boys, I want to tell you something. You either get better or you get worse. You don't stay the same. And that's why we practice. Because if we don't practice, we're going to get worse. And so we need to give our all at this practice. 
And that's true in all aspects of our life, but also spiritually, right? We need to practice the way of Jesus and spend time with Him if we want our relationship with Him to grow. Otherwise, we're saying, I want the title, I want the benefits, but I don't want to do the work. And what does that do? It just divides us from Christ even more. And some of you here, you may feel discouraged because you're thinking, I have tried so hard to create habits. I've tried to read my Bible. I've tried to pray. I've tried to make wise choices. I've tried to be a kind person. But no matter what I do, I just can't do it. And here you are beating me up now. I'm not trying to do that. But what I want to encourage you with is that he doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to be present with him. And we're going to tackle that more a little bit later. So if you're thinking that, I have some ideas for you. But that's later on when we close. But insight number two is that discipleship is an ongoing journey or process. And insight number three is this, that a solid foundation does not prevent storms. It withstands them. Storms are going to come. Are you ready? You know, a foundation built on Christ, it doesn't exempt us from difficulty. We live in a world where sin is present, and when sin is present, there's going to be problems. There will be hardship. And we like to forget what Jesus says in John 16, where he says, in this world you will have trouble. But he says, I have overcome the world. We're going to face storms. But if Christ is the foundation, we can and we will withstand them. We'll still feel the pain. We'll definitely still shed some tears. We'll probably still ask God, why, is this, why am I going through this? But we can find comfort in knowing that God is right beside us, feeling what we feel. Did you know that God feels our pain? He doesn't just look down and stand by and say, oh, poor buddy, sympathizing. No, he is right in the thick of it, empathizing alongside of us, feeling our hurt, feeling our pain, carrying and sharing our burdens alongside of us. And this is important to know because I've heard Christians often attribute their suffering to God. And I've also talked to people who grew up in the church and walked away from their faith because they felt like they had gone through so much hardship and God was the one doing it to them. Or on the other side, they thought they went through a lot of hardship and God didn't do anything for them. And maybe there's some of us here that have thought about that before, maybe even right now. But I want to be clear with you this morning is that God doesn't cause storms. If you're like, well, I don't know, Pastor Kevin, are you sure about that? Well, let me give you an example from Scripture. We know that God is 100% good, right? He's 100% just, 100% loving. He is a God of reconciliation. First Colossians 1.20 says, And through Christ God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, causing hurt, breaking things up, causing destruction in our lives is not reconciliation, Right? And some may say, well, well, God is punishing me for this or because of that. But when Jesus died at the cross, the price was paid. God doesn't need to punish us any further. If he does, then what Jesus did didn't work, right? Then the gospel that we're preaching isn't really true. And it is true. We know that. So the question is then, why do we go through hardship? Well, that's a big question and one that we can't tackle in the remaining few minutes here. But I want to give you two quick simplistic reasons for it. And you can go deeper on your own if you want to. But two reasons for why we go through hardship. And the first is that hardship is caused by our actions 
And secondly, it's caused by the nature of our world. Let's break those two things down real quick. So our actions. Almost every action has a consequence, right? Good or bad. If I do something dumb, I'm probably going to reap something as a result of that, right? It's going to come back to bite me. I think sometimes we like to attribute our hardship or difficulties as punishment from God or even the devil because we don't like to come to terms with the reality that we often self-sabotage ourselves. And we don't like to own up to the fact that we can be our biggest enemies. We can be the ones causing a lot of our own hurt. And we don't like to take responsibility or acknowledge the areas where we're weak. You know, the world says to fake it until you make it, but that just prolongs our pain even more because we never actually come to terms with it. We put it off on someone else. We put it off on God and don't actually address that, hey, there's an issue here that I can fix. So it requires us to be vulnerable. It requires us to acknowledge our mistakes or our weaknesses. And what's funny is that our mistakes, they don't just hurt us. They often hurt others, right? But once we do own up to our mistakes or at least acknowledge the areas where we're we're weak or can improve, then we can begin to work on changing it. And fun fact, having vulnerability, having humility, those are kingdom values. Funny that the, the values of God's kingdom bring us healing, right? There's a reason for that. And I want to give you another example. You know, there was a one afternoon I was driving down I-94 towards the Detroit area. I don't know if I was hitting family or something. But I, I noticed a billboard sign that said that two-thirds of men avoid going to the doctor. And I felt a little bit guilty because I'm like, oh, I might be one of those two-thirds. I don't know. And um, my wife, she's actually studying to be a doctor. So I got to look at her and say, is that true? And she said, yeah, actually, that's a pretty big problem. So I looked into that a little bit more. And I found that of the men that actually do go to the doctor, guess what? 37% of those men withhold information about their health to the doctor. And doctors say that this is an ongoing issue with men in detecting life-threatening issues early. And men, I don't say that to beat us up or to make us feel guilty. It's an example. Because just like we do that with our health, we do that with our spiritual lives as well. You know, we self-sabotage ourselves all the time in many facets of our life, our physical health, our spiritual health. And if we would stop ignoring the areas in our life spiritually that are weak, that could use work, that we could fix, we would stop a lot of storms in our life. And that's why following the way of Jesus is important because it protects us from so many self-started storms. It took me a long time to learn that the reason that God identifies certain things as sinful isn't just because God wanted to create a set of laws to make following him harder. It was because most of the things that are sinful, they hurt us or they hurt others. And God creates these standards out of a love, not out of an annoyance, right? He's trying to help us to live the healthy and whole lives that he has for us that he promises for us. So the first cause is what we often cause our own hardship. But the second thing I said was that the nature of our world also brings hardship, right? You know, we live in a world that isn't perfect. There's sin. Many people follow the ways of, our, of the world, right? They follow the ways of society rather than God's kingdom. And that's going to have its repercussions. And unfortunately, that affects all of us, right? 
You know, God gives us free will. He gives us the choice to follow him. But that means when we don't choose to follow him, there's going to be the results of that, right? And so that means that we're going to have hardship in the world as a result of just the sin that's in our world. But there is hope because we as followers of Jesus, we can find hope in the truth that even though storms will come, a foundation built on Christ will withstand every storm. He will be our strength and support us through it. And often I've learned in my own life that when I've gone through hard situations, and I'm sure you've all experienced this too, is that when I've gone through hard times, it doesn't make it any less easier. It doesn't make it any less hard to go through. But I often come out the other side a better person in some way. You know, I've, I've come out learning something new. I mean, it doesn't mean that I wish I went through it still, but I've learned something in some way. I've become a better person. And having that, the, the fuller perspective of, of Christ, having Jesus' perspective on things, helps us to take those negative situations and not just withstand them, but to actually come out the other side knowing something new, learning something new, being stronger, learning to depend on Christ more. And so the takeaway this morning for you all is that Jesus is concerned with obedience towards God's kingdom values because it's the only way to that abundant, joy-filled life that only he can give. And I want to point something out real quick, is that obedience isn't the foundation. Christ is the foundation. But it's easy for us to live as if obedience is that foundation. And I know I'm kind of splitting hairs on that, right? Because it's, it's very closely tied. Um, but I want to say that our devotion to Christ, Him as the foundation, that then results into our obedience. When our foundation is built out of relationship and not on obligation, that is when obedience naturally results. When we force obedience, our hearts, they get sour towards God because our focus isn't actually on Him, it's on what we're trying to do. I think that's why we struggle so much with creating habits of prayer, of reading Scripture, of, of spending time with God because we sell ourselves the doing and not to the person of Christ. So with this disclaimer, it leads to one big challenge for us all this morning. Are you ready for it? It's this, to start digging. And if you've already dug, dig deeper. Because we need to break through the hard soil in order to begin building that solid foundation. I know that sounds really good to say, build your foundation. But what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, I have two more things for you. And the first is to build formative habits focused on relationship with God. Scripture, prayer, the spiritual disciplines. And you may be thinking, Pastor Kevin, you just said that obedience isn't the answer. But now you're saying obedience is the, like the solution? I know it's a strange intertwining of how that all connects. But unless we intentionally make an effort to spend time with God, we'll never foster that relationship with Him. But I do want to say this, and it might get me in trouble, but Pastor Dave's not here, so it's okay. Don't tell him I said this. But I think for many of us in the church world, we often idolize the concept of daily devotions. And please hear me out. Devo daily devotions are a good thing. If you can spend time with God daily, do it. We should spend as much time as possible with God. I mean, spending daily time with God, that is the goal. But for many of us, daily time with God is too big of a start. 
I mean, how many of us have started a reading plan and make it three days or two weeks and then drop it right there because we just can't grapple it. We can't do it. So let's be honest with ourselves and maybe we try starting smaller. Try twice a week. Try once a week. Because when we start small, we'll begin to facilitate that relationship. And when you get a taste of the relationship with Christ and what he has to offer, you're going to want more. You're going to do more than that one or twice a week. And if you can do more, great. You know, start as much as you can. And it's my hope that we all get to that place where we are doing daily devotions. So I didn't say anything too controversial now, thankfully. But if we can't do that, let's at least do something. You know, I, it was um, right after COVID, I finished my master's degree. And I decided that, hey, I want to kind of get back into working out, getting myself healthy physically. And so I found this cool workout plan. I loved it. And I was like, I'm going to stick to this workout plan and do it. And so I made it to the first week. It was great. Completed every day. Second week comes along. Uh, Monday goes great. Tuesday goes great. But Wednesday, I realized, oh, at the time in the evening when I normally work out, I've got a meeting at church. So instead of like, doing the wise thing and like adjusting my workout time earlier or later, I was like, well, I'll just skip it this day. I'll just go to the meeting, skip, this, skip the workout, it's fine. The next day comes around and I realize, oh, bummer, I skipped a day. Now my whole schedule for this week is messed up. Do I like, you know, push it off a day? Do I make it up and then skip my, work, my rest day? But then if I skip my rest day, I'm going to be tired for the next week. I'll just not do it at all. I'll just, I'll just pick it back up on Monday because I've already messed up the schedule for this week. And I'll, I'll do the full week next week. Well, Monday comes around, and guess what I notice? Well, on Wednesday, I've got another meeting. So I'm just going to skip it again. I'll do it the next week. And it took me a while to learn that I just need to embrace the habit, not the routine. You know, uh, four or five days of working out and missing one day on Wednesday, that's better than two days, right? That's healthier. That's the habit. Now, the routine is important because the routine helps us develop the habit. But the habit is what helps us. And the same is true with our time spent with God. You know, still get a routine. You need it. But focus on the habit more than the routine. And something that's, that's helped me with that, that's kind of been a game changer for me, comes from 1 Thessalonians, where it says to pray without ceasing. ceasing. And when I was younger... I was also fascinated by this idea. I'm like, how do I play Nintendo 64 and, and pray? Like, how do I walk around, like, head bowed, eyes closed, and, and still like, get through my day? But as I got older, I realized it doesn't mean that. It means recognizing that God is with us in every moment. Why? Because he is. And so when I'm enjoying a good cup of coffee, I can say, thank you, God, for this moment. When I'm having a good conversation with someone else, I can recognize that, hey, God's image is within me. God's image is within you. And this is a beautiful moment that we can be together and, and share God's love and just to have a good conversation. When I'm walking through the hallways at work, or for me, it's here at church, when I'm walking through the hallways during the week and I have a meeting coming up or something I'm thinking through, I can say a quick prayer while I'm walking to the bathroom. God, help me with, make this choice. Help me, give me wisdom to think through this idea. Or when I hear people in my life that are going through a hard time, I can take a moment right then and there to say, God, be with this person. Be with them in that need. Help them. And it may only be a 30-second thing, but we're fostering that relationship. 
And it feeds into those more in-depth times of devotion. Because the truth is, there are so many ways to foster a relationship with Christ. We have to find what works for us. And it just requires us to start somewhere. And if we try, God will see our heart, He'll see our intentions, and He will be glad. So don't compare. You don't say, well, you know, God's not looking out from heaven saying, Pastor Kevin, he only read, you know, one chapter this week, or Pastor Dave, he read the whole Bible in a week. He's the better Christian. No. God is happy that we both spend time with God, with Him. You know, our, our relationship is our relationship, and that's what matters. So let's foster that with God. The second thing that we can do is to live every day with a kingdom perspective. What does that mean? Another big word that sounds cool. What do we, how do we do that? Well, I have three words to explain that one word, sorry. But the first one is to be relational. Love people well. It's what Jesus did. Spend time in community because that will encourage and challenge us. I mean, it's what church is about. This sermon that I'm preaching right now, it's only a small part of why we're even in this building. The main focus is that it's us, followers of Jesus, coming together, having community, worshiping God, following him. That's the main focus. So get in community. The second word is intentional. And this can mean a lot of things. So I just want to give you some examples. But be intentional in what you do. You know, have your formative habits. Make wise choices. Do things that you know will build you up, not tear you down. Be willing to say no when you're tired or say that you can't when you just need to rest. Make time for your family. I'm trying to give you examples of what this looks like because so many things in our life, we just do them. We don't actually think, is this what I should be doing? Is this healthy for me? And there's things we do have to put up with, right? But a lot of times we can decide, hey, I should be doing what's healthy for me. Let's be intentional to do those things. And the last way we can have this kingdom perspective is to be joyful. Because as Christ followers, we are people of hope, people of joy, people of love. And when those around us are hurting, let's cheer them up. Do things in your life that, that bring you joy. When people are being negative, be the one that's positive. If you're struggling with depression or you can't find joy, tell someone you trust to help work through it. If it's serious, talk to a counselor or therapist and get help. Because through Christ, we have joy and we are meant to spread it. You know, one of the biggest stains to the witness right now of the church is that a lot of Christians, we, we complain on Facebook, we complain to our friends, we gossip about everything. And we wonder, why don't people come to church? Well, because we aren't showing them Jesus. We're showing them what the world is showing them every single day. So let's show joy. Let's choose joy. And so to help us with this today, I actually have a gift for you. It's not a very exciting gift, sorry. But in the back, you may have noticed there are some baskets on the tables there. And inside those baskets are some rocks. Why? Because we're going to build our foundation on the rock. And my challenge for you, if you choose to do this, is to put that rock somewhere where you'll notice it every day. Maybe put it somewhere out of the ordinary so it stands out. But my challenge is when you see that rock, begin to dig. If you want to focus on formative habits, when you see the rock, Open your Bible real quick and read. Say a, say a quick prayer. Practice gratitude. Say you're thankful to God for something. Whatever it could be, when you see that rock, begin to dig and focus on that to grow our relationship. If you want to focus on kingdom perspectives, 
Maybe you put that rock in your car or at work, and when you see that rock on your desk at work, it's a reminder to go show kindness to a coworker. When you put it in your car, maybe it's a sign that you should show kindness to some random stranger that you come across at the gas station or the grocery store. Put it at home. Maybe it's a reminder to give a friend a call and encourage them and have a conversation. But my goal with the rock isn't to make anything harder for us, but just to simply be a reminder. Because when we see that rock and we begin to act upon our relation, to begin to do these things, you know what's going to happen? We're going to find that we're going to begin doing them without even looking at the rock. And we can go throw it outside and get rid of it because no one wants a rock sitting around their house at all times, right? But it'll help us to foster that relationship and it'll be a part of what we do. So this morning, the challenge is to begin digging. Lay your foundation on Christ because when we do that, we will begin to do what Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 2, Philippians 2, to have the mind of Christ. The little problems will become trivial and we'll focus on what really matters We'll begin to live the abundant, joy-filled life that Jesus promises to us in John 10. And our days will be filled with joy. When trouble comes, it'll still be rough, it'll still be hard, but we'll make it through because Christ is sustaining us. It's a journey, but I believe it's the reason that we're all here today. Because we're all striving for meaning, we're all striving for purpose, for contentment, but that only comes through Christ and building our foundation in Him. It starts with Christ and building it solely on him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your kingdom is here and now. We thank you that you've given us the ability to live abundantly through our relationship with you. Help us to foster a relationship that is thriving, thriving with you. Help us develop habits of prioritizing relationship with you. Help us to embrace the values of your kingdom, not because we feel obligated to, but because we want to know you more. And I pray that as we focus this week and the coming weeks on this idea, that we would experience your presence in a real and tangible way. That K-First would be known for people who are so in tune with the Holy Spirit that everywhere we go, we share your joy. Help us today to come to the place where we can take the next step in our relationship journey with you. If it's coming, great. If it's listening or acting, help us to desire more of you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.